Hello and welcome to What The Heck, a show that looks at mysteries and the unexplained. Every week we look at something unexplained, telling a story or describing it, and then look at all the theories surrounding it. I'm your host, Glenn, and I can't give you the answers to these unexplained things because I don't know what they are. I'm just here to give you the information to decide for yourself. All research is done as academically as I can and references are given at the end of the episode. This is the opening week of season three. We're looking at a big topic this time. These episodes are all unexplained phenomena. For opening week of season three, we're looking at demonic possession. We're currently looking at case studies of possession after looking at the history and theories of possession and exorcism earlier this week. These episodes come with a warning. I will be looking at some pretty gruesome stuff and mistreatment of people who may have been ill. If that's not something you want, skip these episodes. Today, we're looking at Michael Taylor. Michael Taylor was born in September 1944. He lived in Osset, West Yorkshire in the UK. There isn't much information about his upbringing, but this story starts 30 years later in 1974. Osset is located near the city of Wakefield. Michael and his wife Christine lived in the area of the town called Havercroft. They had five children and a dog. By all accounts, their home was considered happy and Michael was described as mild-mannered, kind and a loving father. He was also prone to depressive episodes that were caused by a back injury he had suffered that left him in chronic pain and unable to find long-term employment. In the 1970s, Osset was known to have a highly religious population, with most of them attending church regularly. The Taylors had never really been devout, though, and skipped the church services that were held nearby. A friend of Michael's, Barbara Wardman, thought that religion could help with his depression and she introduced him to a church group called the Christian Fellowship Group, led by a 21-year-old woman named Marie Robinson. Michael soon began to attend regularly and became an active member of that congregation. He was well-versed in their teachings and was close to Marie. He began to spend a lot of time with her, attending more meetings and gatherings and sometimes even joined Marie in special congregations where they would use the power of God to perform exorcisms. This evolved with Michael and Marie engaging in private rituals where the pair would stay awake all night and make the sign of the cross at each other so they could ward off what they believed to be the evil power of the full moon. It was clear to the rest of the congregation that Michael and Marie spent so much time together because Michael was infatuated with Marie. As a result, Michael's behaviour at home began to change. He had already been spending less time at home, but when he was at home, he seemed to be sad and irritable. He became argumentative with Christine, which was a complete change of character from before. The assumption is that his church group was having a negative influence on him, causing the change in his character. His new and sometimes bizarre beliefs, erratic behaviour and poor attitude towards his family were clear to people who knew him, 
and they felt it was the church's fault. Christine knew something was wrong and she wasn't blind to Michael's infatuation with Marie. During one congregation, she even confronted them publicly, accusing him of being unfaithful. This is where Michael's behaviour got worse. He was reported to have felt an evil influence casting a shadow over him, exploding in fury. But he didn't aim it at Christine. He aimed it at Marie. He lashed out, verbally and physically, causing other attendees to physically restrain him out of fear that he would severely hurt himself or somebody else. Marie later spoke about what happened that day, saying that his features changed. She said that he almost looked bestial and kept looking at her with a wild look in his eyes. She screamed and apparently began speaking in tongues. Michael responded by screaming back at her in tongues. She felt like she was on the verge of death when she came to her senses. And that was when she knew that the name of Jesus would save her and she began to repeat it. Christine heard her and joined in. Marie believes this is what prevented Michael from killing her. Michael claimed to have no memory of the incident, but it was soon apparent that his behaviour was a permanent part of him. In fact, it got worse, with it being more visible that Michael was not mentally well. This serious and frightening behaviour led to several ministers getting involved. They believed that Michael might be under the influence of demonic forces. Controversially, the local vicar came to the conclusion that Michael needed to be exercised. Father Peter Vincent and Reverend Raymond Smith were brought in to carry out the exorcism, deciding that it would take place at midnight on October 6th, 1974 at the St. Thames Church in Barnsley, South Yorkshire. On that night, in front of the congregation of the Christian Fellowship Group, the two ministers began. The ritual lasted throughout the rest of the night and well into the morning. As soon as it began, Michael's behaviour shifted. He went into uncontrollable convulsions and fits before he became violent. He began to scratch, bite and spit, ending in him being tied to the floor. Over eight hours, Michael was forced to suffer indignities such as having a crucifix being forced into his mouth and being doused in holy water. Throughout the ordeal, any time anyone would come close to Michael, he would growl and snap at them. The ministers claimed to have found 40 demons inhabiting Michael, representing traits like incest, bestiality, blasphemy, lewdness, heresy, masochism and carnal knowledge. They said that the demons didn't leave easily and they had to be dragged out kicking and screaming from him. After the eight hour ordeal, the priests had to stop because they were exhausted. They decided that the exorcism would be finished at a later date, even though they claimed they had left three demons within Michael. The demons they hadn't removed were the demons of insanity, anger and murder and were stubbornly holding on to Michael. The congregation apparently agreed to this. One witness, a minister's wife named Margaret Smith, later claimed that she had a vision from God saying that the murder demon would escape from Michael and kill Christine. 
She said she pleaded with the ministers, asking them to finish the exorcism, but they dismissed her and told Michael and Christine to return home and prepare for the rest of the exorcism, which they agreed would take place the next day. Michael and Christine left. Around 9.45am on October 7th, less than two hours after Michael and Christine had been sent home, a police car driving around Osset happened upon a man stumbling around in the road. He was naked and his body was slick with blood from head to toe. The driver of the car, police constable Ian Walker, stopped his car and approached the man, who curled up in the fetal position on the ground. PC Walker heard him ranting and screaming, it is the blood of Satan, repeatedly. This attracted onlookers, some of whom knew who the man was. It was Michael Taylor. PC Watkins immediately called for an ambulance, believing that Michael or someone else was hurt. He also tried to talk to Michael, who was only able to continue his rambling. This continued even as the ambulance arrived and took him to the local hospital. After he had gone, the onlookers told PC Walker that the man was Michael Taylor and gave his address. Walker took the address and proceeded to go there. When PC Walker arrived at the Taylor house, he was surprised to find another police car was already there. He later found out that the police had already been called by scared neighbours who had heard a commotion. PC Walker attempted to approach the house, but was stopped by his inspector, who had just left the property. He was told that he didn't want to see it, and that it was nothing like anything the inspector had seen before. Walker felt he had to go in to find out what had happened to the man he found, but he also went to see what had shaken his inspector so badly. The tailor's living room was destroyed. Blood covered every surface, mixed with flesh. On the floor was Christine and the family dog. Both were almost unrecognisable. The blood that had covered Michael had been Christine's. The drive from Barnsley to Osset is only around 20 minutes long, so the couple had returned home quite early. Around 9.30am, Michael had gone into a fit of rage. He stripped naked and strangled Christine. The next part of the story is going to talk about the wounds that Christine and the dog suffered. If gore isn't something you want to hear, please skip ahead. Michael had destroyed Christine's face. There wasn't a weapon involved at all. All of this was done with Michael's bare hands. In his attack on Christine, he had gouged out her eyes. He had also pulled her tongue out. He had torn the skin on her face off revealing the bone of her skull, leaving her unrecognisable. It was found that Christine likely died quickly of shock and asphyxiation rather than from Michael's full attack. With Christine dead, Michael's attention was turned to the dog. He strangled the dog and literally ripped it limb from limb. He had taken its teeth out as well as gouging out its eyes. Afterwards, he had fled the house which is where PC Walker had entered the story. That's the description of the attack done, so you don't have to skip anymore. The attack was described as the most horrific crime scene any officer in attendance would ever see. Michael was taken into police custody from the hospital. 
He was interviewed hours later when he was deemed rational enough to talk. He was asked to explain what had happened. He told the officers about the exorcism, saying that it was a long night. The congregation had apparently danced around him and they had burned the cross he owned because they said it was tainted with evil. He showed them his hands, which he had been slamming into the floor all night. He told the police that the power was in him and nobody was able to get rid of it because they were too late. He said he had been compelled by a force from within him that told him to destroy everything living in the house. Michael claimed to have no recollection of his actions in the house and said he loved Christine deeply. However, when asked how he felt now, Michael told the inspectors that he was released and that the devil inside Christine had been destroyed. There was no apparent motive for Michael's actions. Even so, he was charged with the murder of Christine Taylor and remanded to Broadmoor Secure Hospital in Berkshire to await his trial. Whilst on remand, he was said to have spent most of his time in silence or sleeping. It's thought that he didn't want to face what he had done or how his five children had lost their mother and now, by extension, their father was also gone. The crime was sensational. It was something right out of a horror story and people were in disbelief how it could happen in real life. It caused a media frenzy and happened the year after the Exorcist film had released and was a horrendously bloody crime filled with exorcism and demonic possession. It drew in huge interest in the lead up to Michael's trial. The trial commenced in March 1975. The jury were advised by the prosecutor that the evidence would make it difficult to believe that they weren't in the Middle Ages and neither the prosecutor nor the defender denied that Michael had issues with his mental health. Michael himself testified, once again claiming to have no memory of the crime, that he had loved his wife and that he had been under the control of some supernatural forces. He also told the court that he believed that Christine was possessed by demons. He offered no other explanations and stuck with what he had told the inspectors after his arrest. His defence involved discrediting the Christian Fellowship Group and the Anglican and Methodist ministers involved in the exorcism. They claimed that the Christian Fellowship Prayer Group was more like a fanatical cult that had managed to influence Michael through mind control and indoctrination, feeding his mental health issues. They even blamed the exorcism. The prosecution claimed that the ritual had taken its toll on a man who was mentally disturbed. This, coupled with the religious ideals and beliefs that the prayer group had instilled in him, had pushed Michael over the edge and caused the murder. The lawyer for defence, Mr Ognall, felt that Michael wasn't responsible for the murder and asked for those who he felt were responsible to stand up because the guilt lay with them. Michael was found not guilty of his wife's murder by reason of insanity. He was deemed both legally and criminally insane and was sent back to Broadmoor where he stayed for two years before being sent to Bradford Royal Infirmary for another two years. He was released after that. The aftermath of the trial caused a public outcry over the use of exorcism within the church. In fact, this case was the last recorded Anglican exorcism. They did defend themselves though, 
Throughout the trial and for years afterwards, Father Peter Vincent continued to insist that Michael had been possessed by demons and that the murder of Christine Taylor had proved it. Father Vincent's church career was completely unaffected by the events and he seemed to have almost no consideration for the events surrounding the Taylor family, stating that God would bring good out of it in his own way. Reverend Raymond Smith felt the opposite. He believed the exorcism had failed, saying, if people come to me in trouble of any kind, I will try to help. I would give such comfort as I could, but I am only an ordinary human being with human feelings. Michael Taylor, after his release from hospital, went back to Osset. No information is known about the relationship he had with his children or his friends in the town though. He continued to display odd behaviour at times and made suicide attempts four times over the following years. One of these badly injured his back and legs. But that wasn't the end of Michael's time in the news. In 2005, he was arrested for sexually harassing and having inappropriate conduct with a minor. During court, it was said that Michael had asked if he was going to Broadmoor for murdering his wife. He was incarcerated for, his, for this crime and whilst in prison, his mental health declined again. Upon his release, he seemed to recover he hasn't appeared in the news since then, so I don't know where he is or what his life is like now. In 2021, the case was mentioned in The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, a film about another killer who claimed to be possessed, Aunt Cheyenne Johnson. That is the story of Michael Taylor. There's a discussion to be had about this though. Michael Taylor case is a difficult one. Prior to his inclusion in the prayer group, his life seemed happy. Everything moved quite quickly once he joined though. With such a quick change of behaviour, it's easy to see why the church would think he was possessed, but it still could be something else. His relationship with Marie is in question here. It was possibly an extramarital affair, which he was determined to keep secret. This backfired since he wasn't exactly secretive with his behaviour. When he was called out for it, he lashed out at Marie, possibly because he thought it was her fault. This led to thoughts of possession because his actions were so out of character. What is a mystery in this situation is why he attacked Christine after the possession. It could be many things, but there must have been a lot of frustration after being tied down for eight hours. Christine was there as well. Maybe he was angry that she didn't step in and save him, or maybe being ridiculed for eight hours made him snap. We know that he had issues with his mental health, and we already discussed how religious influence can cause people not to seek relevant help. I need to be careful here, because I don't want to blame Michael's mental health for his actions, but he could have been suffering from a psychotic break, something that had been building for a while if we look at his behavioral changes. If someone is already suffering, it's probably not a good idea to make them suffer more in an intense and lengthy situation in an attempt to help. Once again, we fall outside of the Catholic faith here. The ministers in this story were Anglican 
one of the Protestant sects in the UK. They don't usually have exorcist training because there's no need. So when they decided that an exorcism was the way to go, there was nobody formally trained to perform the ritual. Not only that, but they didn't have any idea what to look for. As discussed, and something I'll likely keep coming back to, the training for an exorcist involves observing the ritual so that they can better understand what to look for, which is something these ministers didn't know. The ministers are also an issue here. One of them showed little remorse for the events that unfolded and kept his career within the church as if it had never happened. A woman was brutally murdered by a man that they had exercised not two hours before, and his response was to say that good would come of it somehow. The other minister realised how bad it was. He said he would try and help people in any way he could. The fact that the Anglican Church stopped exorcisms because of this case is the only positive that came from the church's involvement. So far, what we've discovered from these cases is that churches outside of Catholicism seem to have a very poor record of exorcisms. Both stories so far this week have involved death. We have no positive ends here yet. It's so important that we think about what possession is before we call something possession, because both subjects in these stories have had an illness or disorder that has been misdiagnosed as a symptom of possession. We still have five stories to go. I don't know if we'll see any different result in those. The information from this episode came from the Wikipedia page for Michael Taylor, an all that's interesting article filled with tales of possession and the true crime enthusiast case study on Michael Taylor. References and links are posted on social media if you want to take a look. The link tree is available in the episode description so you can go to your preferred social media or listen on your preferred platform. Patreon is still unchanged with a £3 tier if you want to support me but I have nothing to put on there yet. Suggestions, personal stories and corrections can be sent through the email in the episode description too. The next episode releases tomorrow and Creature Features will return next week. So hold on until then.